Today's episode brought to you by BossPods.com. Want a podcast like a boss? We've got the inside word on how to set up a podcast that's actually worth something. We've got the industry's best to show you how. BossPods.com. Podcast like a boss. It was actually a comedy of errors for a little bit there because you were trying to call me and I was trying to call you at the same time. We were hanging up on phone calls accidentally. It was it was quite funny. I wish it was all... I wish there was like a, uh, a video of all that taking place because it was just hopelessness at its at its finest. And all we really wanted to do was desperately talk to each other for the first time in six months. <laughs> we found a way to fuck that up eight times. Yeah. Yeah. The important thing is the ninth time was the charm. Here we are. Here we are. About to ramble on. Yeah. Feels like there's uh there's a lot of life to catch up on. Um I know. It's 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 strange when you kind of step away from uh from a world that you're used to for for a little while how everything stays the same but everything changes as well. Um Yeah, for sure. And it's been pretty cool to watch, you know, the careers of people uh I, I guess in a way pick up that kick off. Um, I mean, I guess in a way you don't really feel like it's happening when you're in the midst of it because it's very small amounts of progress. But, you know, when you're viewing from afar, it certainly seems like, you know, you're doing some amazing work and um, and you've been working pretty consistently for a little while now. Who, who me? Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, this is a really nice little... Um, rant is going on about like I, th- I just thought it was like really philosophical and about the world and stuff but like then i realized i mean it mean. started out yeah, that yeah. way yeah and then it and then it kind of got really personal which was um a surprise for me yeah. but i liked it <laughs> um yeah yeah i've been i've been really busy it's been really nice um i've been somehow keeping myself uh, not going too long without having some sort of work which is great an amazing thing, especially in this field, as you know. Um, it's lovely. So what have you been, what What are some of the kind of highlights of, of what you've been doing over the last, sort of, say, year? Oh, shit, I probably should have thought about this more before before we spoke. Ah, that's um, all right. It's better to think about it on the spot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Hey, um, so last year... I really wanted to do a bit, a bit, a bit of TV, and um, I wanted to do a play at some stage, and I got to do those things, so that was nice. Um, I did uh, a play at Red Stitch, which um, man, that's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. It was really cool, and it was an American play by this young playwright named Claire Barron. She's only like twenty eight years old when she wrote it. I think never did it in Australia before, so that was really, that was really nice to sort of tread the boards again and and just do something that's like original that no one had seen here yet and um i worked with a really really cool cast and brett cousins who's a pretty young director so that was all kind of it was nice to explore with each other and and just all like just like spew it all together onto a stage and see what happens it was really good it was really nice to to play and explore and then i've just done a bunch of like yeah just tv spots really i haven't done a lot of like um i've been on dr blake mysteries which has been really like a lot of fun I've, i've done a few episodes of that now um, I get to play a prick, which is great. Um, <laughs> the actor's dream. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. You don't get to do that in real life. 
Yeah, so that's been good. And then um, otherwise, I got to work on some cool shows last year. I was on uh, Offspring, which obviously is like a really popular show. Everyone loves that. And um, I worked on this new show that hasn't aired yet called The Warriors, and that looks really exciting. It's got this like cool young indigenous cast in it. Um, it sort of follows this football side that's new to the AFL. I was in House Husbands, so I, I, I did a really, I did some really cool kind of, um, you know, one or two episode spots and a few of these shows, and um, it was great, man. I'm learning lots, and yeah, I just feel like I'm growing a lot, which is really nice. And so awesome, man. I, I remember, you know, sitting with you for a while. Uh, for, for, you know, we'd have kind of six-month intervals where, you know, one of us would be working and the other would be struggling um, and it would kind of flip around a bit and we'd often kind <laughs> of talk about the difficulty in trying to really create something that's sustainable and is sustained where you maybe don't have to go and do those jobs that you don't want to do to, you know, uh, support your habits, as it were, as a creative, whether it's an actor, a filmmaker, or whatever, for sure. But it's really great to see you in a uh, and and a lot of our friends in in that position now, where we can really, you know, make a life and make a career uh, and see it as a career out of what we love doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's funny because that's all we really want at the end of the day. I think like. I, you know, a lot of people think that you do it for because um, you want to be famous or everyone to like you, or, or some—I don't know, whatever. There's all these really funny reasons and stuff out there, but we love the work. We love storytelling, whatever, wh- whatever way we get to do that, whether that's behind a camera or in front of it, or you know, holding a boom mic or something. <laughs> like whatever, whatever. However, we get to tell the story. We we love being involved in that and. That's definitely the dream, man. That we can just we can just live that and and be able to do that without worrying about too much. So at the moment, yeah, it's you're right. It was just, we've got a few friends that are in that situation, and I don't take for granted how lucky I am. And I know you wouldn't, and I know most of the other guys don't. And I know how quickly it can turn. So um, it's I'm fortunate. It's really great. Lee Beckhurst is a name you may not be too familiar with, but you definitely know his face. Whether it's from Dr. Blake Murder Mysteries, Offspring, the Melbourne theatre scene, or the guy who can't get his bets in quickly enough in the sports bet commercials, Lee's face has started to crop up everywhere in recent years. Lee and I went to drama school together, and it was an absolute pleasure to record our catch-up conversation and share it with you. You can find this episode to download and many more like it at www.comingupnext.com.au where you'll also find links to Podbean, Stitcher and iTunes so that you can subscribe to Coming Up Next. You can rate Coming Up Next. And if you want to go all in, you can leave a review. Why don't you let me and Lee know what you think of our chat, of our conversation, of our little ramble as I welcome to the chat cave, Lee Beckhurst. Do you remember the first time that you did perform, uh, maybe as a kid or something, that is an experience that you look back on and go, that was where it all kind of started for me? Um, that's a good question. 
Yeah, yeah. So I reckon I was in I was in grade three, which so at that moment I was about nine or ten, ten years old. And um, I like I've always been a little bit of a clown, I suppose, in class and stuff. I was always like chatting and getting in trouble and stuff. And then we had to do this like end of year school concert. I mean, I'm not the only one that had to do that. I think everyone has done one of those before, <laughs> whether you <laughs> whether you wanted to act or not. Um, and uh, we had to do this performance and they sort of, this is when I kind of realized that maybe it was a thing that I should have been looking at more carefully, you know, like um, they they had a vote in the class, like who should play this, like who sang this song in front of everyone. And so I got voted and I was like, oh shit, like maybe this is a thing that people see me as. It was one of the first times that I actually thought, um, like I didn't even realize that was who I was properly. I mean, you're nine or 10 years old. I don't, I didn't exactly have like this amazing self-awareness at that point in time, <laughs> but, um, you know, I got voted to do this song. It was a song from the 1950s called rubber ball. Look it up. It's cheesy as shit. And I had to wear like this, um, sequined vest, um, and just and just sing over the top of a track that already had the music like the singing going on, and I had like chorus girls next to me, these backup girls doing these dances, and the rest of the class had to be in the background throwing rubber balls around. It was really it was terrible. Um, so I just sang as loud as I could into this microphone. It was probably just awful. Um, but <laughs> after the show, I remember all these mums and stuff coming up to me, and they were just like, "Wow, you know, like they wanted to take me home, you know," and I was like that was wonderful what a wonderful feeling i did it in front of a couple of hundred people i was like shitting myself somehow got through that and i think that was when i sort of went hey maybe this is like this could be a cool little fun thing to do you know so yeah it was um rubber ball there you go 1950s track it was um you really need to look it up it's (laughs) (laughs) and imagine a 10 year old kid in a sequin vest um, smashing the shit out of it, like, as hard as he could, prepubescent, so, like, you know, the highest registered voice you can imagine, just, like, just going to town on it. It was um, it was something else. Do you remember the song? Oh, uh, yeah, a little bit of it, I think. I just remember the, like, <laughs> a bit of the sort of... I don't remember the verses. I remember the chorus. And there's a lyric in it that goes, um, You bounced my heart around which is, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of cheesiness that, uh, that can only be uh, performed eloquently in a grade three production. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful cheesiness. It's, it's a kind of weird concept when you think about it, uh, not the bouncing the heart around, but the, the, the concept of having like an end-of-year musical kind of production where every year level puts on a show. Yeah, we were kind of forced to do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you didn't really have a choice in that matter. It's not like there was, like, you couldn't pull out. Like, every kid was involved. I remember watching all the other shows and going, there's no way knowing that girl over there who sits at the uh, like the front and just is really quiet during classes wanted to do this. And here she is, like, having to <laughs> mime these lyrics or whatever. Or that guy over there doesn't, you know, he hates this sort of stuff. So it was, it, it was weird. It was like... I felt like it, I felt like the teachers were getting off on it, like it was for them more than anything else. Yeah, and the parents probably but, as well. 
Oh, parents love it as well. But hey, it gave me something, obviously, and uh, it's all gone downhill from there. <laughs> uh, <nah. laughs> then you became the sports yeah. bet guy. <laughs> so somehow, yeah, 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 yeah. Some... I haven't had to sing rubber ball in any of those ads yet, so that's been good. <laughs> uh, so going through high school, then was there a certain was there a point where you became a drama kid in quote unquote. Uh, I know you're a very, um, you've always been a very sporty person as well. Sure. Uh, you know, we sh- and obviously if everyone's seen me in those sports fit ads, they would think, wow, he's a really sporty guy, this guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> 25 kilos overweight. He, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to mess with him. He's a real athlete. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was quite sporty. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you still you still are probably more sporty than the average person in terms of, you know, what you do. But was was there a point in high school cuz you also grew up, you know, um in a in an area of Melbourne that would be more uh well probably most areas of Melbourne are more persuaded towards sport over drama, but I think you probably grew up in one that was particularly sport heavy. Was there a point Oh man. Was was there a point yeah. at uh, at school where you where you did kind of become a drama kid, or were you kind of a uh, secretly a, a drama kid, or was it you know was there a balance? How did that kind of go for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely grew up in an area. I was I grew up in the um, in the western suburbs of Melbourne in a place called Kilo Downs, but yeah, it was. It was really sports dominated, and I think I went through what a lot of kids went through, and that was um, drama was uh, a girl's activity, you know, and you were seen as less of a man if you took on that sort of thing, um, which was ridiculous and so drastically incorrect, obviously, but um, that puts a lot of pressure on a boy when they're growing up in that environment, I suppose. And I think I um I just was one of those kids who really loved to perform and I used to take advantage of that in class. So I would always I would put on little shows and I would do impersonations of people and um you know, I would tell these really like funny stories or elaborate stories or whatever. So I guess I got my outlet through that. And it wasn't until the end of high school um I got to about year, I was year 11, year 12, around there. And I sort of thought, no, nah, I think this is something that I really want to do and that I shouldn't be really ignoring it anymore. And so I did drama um, and was forced to do this, not forced to do, I was kind of asked to do the school play at the time, which, <laughs> man, this, these these stories get cheesy and cheesy. I did <laughs> um, Narnia, The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe and I played Aslan the Lion. And I had to wear like these lion kind of pajamas. <laughs> As in, it, it was <laughs> like a it was a it was a suit that kind of looked like a lion, or it was like flannel pajamas that had pictures of lions on them. No, yeah, no, thank God it wasn't that. Yeah, <laughs> it was a suit that looked like a lion, but it was quite baggy. It looked like a like I don't know a lion wrapper or something. It was weird. <laughs> and um, the most embarrassing as we're doing this, it might be, this might be a funny story. The most embarrassing thing ever happened to me that's ever happened to me happened in that play. So 
I'm playing this. I had to play two characters, Uncle Dickery. <laughs> I was 17 years old. I had to play an, like an uncle who was apparently in his you know, 50s. Um, and then in the Narnia world, he becomes, he's like Aslan to the children, you know. And um, <laughs> so I, I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but basically it's almost an, um, it's almost a religious tale because um, Aslan sort of sacrifices himself for Narnia to help everybody and then he sort of rises from the dead almost. It's kind of like this weird, it's very like closely linked. Um, and the way they kill him is he gets to be, he put, they put him on this stone table um, and they sort of knife him and he, he gets killed in front of everyone, in front of the other animals. It's really like quite graphic for them poor 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 animals and um they put me down on my back and i we did this performance right and it was in front of year seven and eight kids and i was in year 12 at the time so the youngest kids in the school were there and i was one of the oldest kids and they put me down on this table and i was lying on my back and all of a sudden i I heard like this like section of people laughing and then I, that laughter just sort of spread throughout the theater and everyone was laughing, pissing themselves. And there was nothing funny going on in the scene. I mean, I was about to die. And um, last I recalled, there were no punchlines or anything like that. So there's no, I couldn't figure out why they were laughing. And I looked down <laughs> and look, people don't believe, this is the worst thing about this story. People don't believe this. The way my um, my junk was sitting, um, <laughs> it looked <laughs> it looked like I had an erection, <laughs> but I didn't. Right? <laughs> it just I think I, I squeezed my legs together and it sort of pushed them up, <laughs> and people. <laughs> this is a true story. I'm not making this up. And people were convinced that I had a boner. Right? Um, which is a really difficult thing to sort of disprove. Um, and so they, they were all laughing and I was so embarrassed and I had to sort of jiggle. I had to jiggle on this table, but while I was still acting and trying to be the character to get my junk down back between my legs. And, um, I somehow managed to do that eventually, I think, but it was too late. And by that stage, I was a bit of a laughing stock amongst the young kids at the school. And I remember walking around school one day and like, I heard these kids like yelling out, Bona boy. And I didn't know where it came from. Uh, and that happened about two or three times. It was it was uh, very very embarrassing. <laughs> so yeah, and a teacher came up to me. A male teacher came up to me and said, "Hey, so I uh, how unprofessional is this? Right, Western suburbs, I guess." Um, he was like, "Hey, man, so I heard you uh, pitched a tent." <laughs> That's what he said. I was like, well, "I didn't." He said, "Well." Oh yeah, that's what everyone told me, mate. So, <laughs> and that that experience didn't scar you. How it didn't, I don't know. Well, I've never. I've, if I lie down on the stage now, I make sure that, that uh, my gear um, <laughs> is in a position Pack, packed appropriately. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't I haven't resorted to the point of strapping down or anything yet. Um, but. Yeah, it definitely it's definitely left some sort of scarring, just not enough to have put me off. <laughs> so from there, I mean, when we met, you were, I guess, twenty four, and I think I was twenty five, or something. We were both twenty five. Twenty. Or? Yep, twenty five. Something around there. Um, 
So, and we met at a at a drama school. So there's there's a fair bit of space between uh, when you know when you leave school and and when you arrive at that kind of point. Sure. What was um what were you kind of running with up until that? Were you just sort of deciding whether or not it was something that you wanted to do? I mean, and, and how was the kind of how was that uh you know that whole concept um met by your family and your parents and and that sort of thing were they supportive or was it more they wanted you to pursue something more um uh secure how was that yeah 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 definitely and i think everyone's got a similar story to that i i think um you know my dad and my mom and dad didn't really mind me doing it as a um something that i enjoyed as a hobby um but I don't think they, they took as seriously uh, how much I wanted to do it, um, you know, professionally and do it and do it really, really well, like to the best of my I, my ability. Um, and you know, I was I was I was scared, man. I was a scared kid coming out of school who, like, like a lot of other actors, I've heard this story a lot of uh, being told a lot. Um, you're 17, 18 years old, all of a sudden the school system, which is this really cool routine that you got going that you don't have to pay any money for. You just rock up and hang out with your mates and stuff and, and you know, play sports and do drama and stuff like that. And all of a sudden you're, you're out of that. You're thrust out of it into this world and everyone's like expecting you to, I mean, I was a dumb kid, man. I didn't know what I was doing. So I, um, yeah, I was, I just did anything really to sort of, appease everybody and and make sure that i was doing enough to be secure so i just basically did a bunch of jobs i did like i i reckon between 18 and 25 i was trying to work it out i did somewhere between 20 and 25 jobs i reckon um i was just trying to find anything to to sort of get me by oh man i mean uh, most of the time it was like office work um, but I was like, I got to a point where I was desperate and I would just put down this, never do this, by the way, anyone out there listening, never do this. I went to a recruitment agency and I told them I was willing to do anything. Yeah. And I mean, I ended up in a freezer for a whole day, like just lifting boxes. It was like eight hours in a freezer. Um, and my body freaked out, didn't know what was going on because my skin was really cold, but I was actually quite hot because you actually do a lot of work. So, like, I did some really intense stuff, yeah. Like, I worked at a garlic bread factory and all my job was just to make sure dough wasn't coming off of a conveyor belt and that was eight hours as well or six hours, I think it was. So, if a dough was coming off, I just pushed the dough back on, you know. Um, thankfully, I, I didn't go back to those places. So they were like one-day things. And then I eventually just um, I became a media buyer, which is like, you know, in advertising and I did that for a few years but it just wasn't for me. I think everyone, you, you go through a stage in your life where there's like this little voice in your head that says, hey, man, there's enough's enough of this. Like I thought that money would be the answer to my problems and and that life would take care of itself as long as I could do that. If I had a nine-to-five job that paid well and was always going to pay better as it went on and I had lots of money, I'd be happy and I wasn't. And I think a lot of people go through that. Um, and so I just had to make a change, man. I had to do something about it. And it was, and, and that little dream was always nagging me at the back of my head. Um, and I just couldn't ignore it anymore. So, 
so the media buyer job was quite a well-paid and quite a secure kind of uh, job that you found yourself in kind of in your early-ish 20s. Yeah, yeah, sort of 22. Uh, about, yeah. And then before that, I was in advertising. I was about 21, I think, when I got into advertising. So, um, yeah, you know, a good like five years of that. And it just, um, it's a really cool job. Like people, and there were some amazing perks. I mean, I went to a bunch of concerts and shit. It was like, it was, it was fun in a lot of ways, but it just, it didn't, um, it didn't fill me up, you know, it didn't, um, yeah, fill my soul, if you will. Um, and so I, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just needed something else. I, yeah, I kind of fell into the job. A lot of people that work there did the same thing. They had degrees for other things, but they just sort of fell into that job. It's like a lot of, a lot of jobs that happens. And yeah, I just had to, had to find something else. Mm. So I guess, you know, in a sense, it's quite lucky that you, you're able to have that experience when you're, you know, in your mid twenties, as opposed to, you know, your, your mid forties or something when, you know, is the kind of, uh, quote unquote, typical time that people might have that sort of experience yeah uh, but you know even still it, it must have been challenging to kind of step away from something that is so secure into basically the complete opposite uh, where it's you know it's 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 only really as we sort of spoke about earlier now after uh, I guess five six seven years of trying to do it properly like you know with a full investment um that you're actually yeah. reaping the the rewards and the benefits it must have been quite challenging to to step away from that of course yeah it was it really was i mean yeah yeah a lot of people tell you that you're doing the wrong thing and um you know it's it's expensive to do an an acting course like a good acting course <laughs> um and so all of a sudden, I, it's not even just you go from earning a lot of money in this job. Uh, I know I'm, not, I'm saying a lot of money like I was on like, you know, I wasn't on six like figures or anything like that, but I was on good money. Um, but you're earning, you're earning, you know, plenty of money and then all of a sudden you're, you're paying, you're actually throwing all a bunch of money at the course and there's no money coming back anymore because you can't work your full time nine to five. So you go from like doing really okay for money and then all of a sudden you're completely broke. <laughs> um, so I was living on like, you know, I remember there was a week where I think I had canned spaghetti, um, baked beans or that canned ravioli, which is actually not too bad once you heat it up. It's okay. <laughs> canned um, ravioli? I don't even think I've heard ravioli. of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, but you wouldn't trust it when you see it. You're like, no, 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 no. But it's... Uh, <laughs> It's okay. Um, I remember there was a week where every day I had one of those for dinner. At least I, I just sort of tossed it up every time. I think I had it on toast a couple of times. Um, so, like, I was broke, broke. <laughs> um, but I was really happy, man. Like, um, it, was just, it was just an amazing experience. It's one of the best years I've ever had in my life. And, um, and I had no cash. And that's when I realized that I don't think – I think money's pretty overrated. And not for everyone. Some people need it. Some people really like that's their shit. But 
it wasn't it's not for me um when you say money you, you mean know. like you mean like the pursuit of money as like a source of happiness sure because i i love money <laughs> don't get me wrong i'm not sitting here saying like boo money i'm saying money's great but it's not it's not the be all and end all i think um I met so many great people and I was doing the thing that I really wanted to do. So everything else was, everything else inside me was really filled up. And, um, you don't really, you'll, you'll, you'll take a week of baked beans and spaghetti for that. Like without, without blinking, you know, like that's, everyone lives for different things, but that was, that was my thing. I needed, I needed to discover that. And I'm like you said, I'm lucky I did discover it when I did, because I know an actor who's um, 55 and he only started acting when he was 50 because he realized that late, you know, in life, like he, that was when he sort of said, nah, I've got to do this. And I'm, what an amazing thing to be, still be able to do that at that age is, is pretty remarkable. But yeah, I was really lucky that I kind of discovered mine a little bit early on. What would you say were, you know, the school that we went to or that we met at was called uh, 16th Street Actors Studio. And it's, you know, yep. when we went there, it was the first year that they were offering this full-time program where you would, you know, you would go and you would have this experience of being fully invested as an actor uh, for 12 months, uh, where, you know, learning all of these amazing techniques. I mean, you know, we kind of had the kitchen sink thrown at us because I guess they were figuring out what was going to work and what wasn't going to work. <laughs> Yeah, but in a way, you know, that kind of brought us, you know, as a as a group, really close together, and we were all on this big learning curve uh, as as a as a tribe, as a unit. What, what do you think the importance of that kind of community is uh, for, you know, for for performers, for artists? I mean, you said before that you did this, you did a play earlier in the year with a company called Red Stitch, and they're you know sort of one of the biggest. Uh, in Melbourne in terms of uh, theatre production companies and they do have that kind of really communal sort of feel to them. What was, what was, the, what was the importance and the significance of that for you when we were going through it, um, when was it, seven, eight years ago? Yeah, like of that community you mean, that real like... Yeah, that, that like kind of team spirit. Sort of I mean, in a way, it's like it was, you know, uh, we, were, we were a sports team in a way, um, if you want to create a yeah, yeah, simile. Yeah, for sure. How 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 significant was that for you in um, in continuing that that artistic growth? Yeah, uh, like I mean, it was really it was imperative for me, you know. Like I, and it might not have been for necessarily everybody. Some people can do that journey by themselves really well, and they don't need a community necessarily. Like they're just really driven on that, you know. But you know. <laughs> That I had serious days where I was enjoying myself, loving life, and loving the people that I met. I, you know, our group was really was fantastic. But I, um, I had heaps of doubts. You know, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't go to bed every night thinking, "Oh, you've definitely done the right thing with regards to your life and your career." Like, you know, I was terrified that I was going to like, because like I said, the money. I wasn't doing it for money, but I, you know, you want to be able to live. You don't want to like get to a point where you, you're just constantly in debt and you have no money ever. Um, so it was kind of this like, it's this weird sort of balance, you know, you don't do it for the cash, but you also need enough money to live. It's like this, you know, it's this weird balance. And so I to have a bunch of people close to my age um, 
going through a similar similar thing was like was magic because um I don't know. It was just. It was. Just, it, we needed to. We needed to vent that every now and then. That frustration and that um, confusion to each other, and and really unite in that regard. And I think it was important. Even when I left the school, um, we maintained a relationship. You and I, um, and so did a few of the others. And it just. Um, you, you just need constant support. It's an industry with a lot of re- rejection and a lot of. Um, narcissism and negativity and all that sort of stuff you know uh, it can be so to have people around you that are really positive and really like cheering you on is huge and um yeah i'll always be grateful for that it's um it's probably the best thing the school can give you isn't it really i mean we we learnt a lot of stuff but that sense of community really helped us out no end like yeah, yeah, hugely important, huge. And I, I feel sorry for any young actors out there, young musicians, any young artist out there that's doing it without one, because um, it's a lonely place and people don't understand what you're doing. Um, people think you're a bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, we probably are. Oh, there's no doubt we're batshit. But we, um, so that's why you need it. That's why you need pats on the back. You know. Um, it's really hard, it's, and and then and maintaining your self belief and having the confidence to go and do it and do it well is half the battle, I think. Um, yeah, I'm all, I'll always be grateful for that. It's great school. What was some of the some of the you know you said you, you didn't always feel like you'd made the right choice. What were some of the challenges that you kind of felt or faced? Uh, you know. In, in the midst of that kind of year and maybe pre, you know preceding couple of years and um, and how did you feel like you overcame them it's good good see this is like, this is why you do this part of the job now because <laughs> these questions are quite good so I'm um, on this side of the microphone <laughs> that's right because I'd ask dumb things like um, I don't know I, I was trying to think of a funny example like did you ever get an erection on stage? Yeah, and I could say yes to that, but not many people can. Um, <laughs> you could say no, yeah, but people no. thought I did. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's true. But um, yeah, it just sounds like I've confessed. I didn't confess. I didn't get an erection for the last time. <laughs> Print that with an exclamation mark. I I think I was lucky enough to overcome a lot of those challenges because I think I think throwing your life away, <laughs> um, so to speak is a really great way to motivate you to do something well um, and to pursue it to its full capability. And I did that. So I didn't really have a choice but to do well at it um, because, yeah, people were questioning what I was doing. But, yeah, the doubts don't really stop. I got When, you leave, when I left acting school, um, you know, you get a pat on the bum and they're like, good on you now go and get some acting jobs and you sort of think, well, how the fuck am I supposed to do that? So I had to kind of discover everything else by myself just by asking a bunch of questions to a bunch of people like, what do I do now? And then you have to get headshots and get an agent if you can't, if you get the chance, get an agent. Uh, and even even through that, like, I, you know, 
your agents go through culls. They like they'll they'll every six months or something they go through their list of actors and they'll say these people don't get it. They're, they're off my book now because I just don't think they're going to get me work or whatever. Um, and I, you know, heard a whisper. Don't ask me how, but that because I, I got an agent and I didn't get work for a while, and I heard this whisper that maybe I was going to get culled. <laughs> so like. You know, again, those doubts come in. You're thinking to yourself, well, I finally did all the things that I needed to do and now I'm going to lose my agent. So I'm back at square one. What do I do? I don't know. Yeah, I just think... And and I, I send a lot of really like better actors than me um, but don't have that confidence to, to do it um, really, really well. So they they fade out of it or they, you know, they don't get a lot of work because of that. So I think I was lucky enough to, to get to a point where I was like, I believe I can do this to, at a certain standard um, and that standard will be enough to get work at some stage, you know? Um, uh, but I'm lucky. I'm lucky in that regard that I had that I was able to have a little bit of that confidence to be able to do it and a lot of people don't. And you, it might be that community that they miss. It might be those people that they need to pat them on the back when they need it the most because I had that a few times. I mean, you are one of those people and um, heaps of people in class, you know. Andre and I, we used to have a lot of conversations and we, we'd give each other a rev up. There's a guy, Andre Devani, in the class, great actor. Um, Fabio Motta and I, this guy in the class, we used to have drives home and we, we would, we'd express our doubts and, 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 tell, and lift each other up. So we were lucky, man. We had that community. It was really easy to sort of get yourself back on the horse, but a lot of people don't have that. And like I said, I was I, I had enough confidence that I could uh, break through. What do you think are some of the key things that you learned in that year that you're still still using and still take with you? You know, we we would always or often have those kind of debriefs, like top five moments or top five hilarious things, or which were always <laughs> instigated by you. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love a good I love a good list. You do love um, a good list. Yeah, yeah. It's one of my favorite things. Um, being counting down, I t- tells you a lot about people when they when they give you rankings on things. You know, um, what are your top five things you love about lists? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I you, I you need to give me another. This is another phone call. Um, you need to give me a twenty four <laughs> hours, and I can come up with a list of fifty things right. that I love about lists. Um, yeah, that. Again, so the question is: In that twelve months, what did I? I guess what are some of the sort of the key things that you feel like, like just off the top of your head, you know, that you still kind of use that you that you were kind of that your eyes were open to. I know that there are a lot of kind of uh, dare I say spiritual kind of moments that we would have where it was like where we were all becoming these self-aware human beings like an awakening mm. almost um, and the way that that could carry into uh, the art. Um, do you do you kind of have specific things that you think you learned that you still use uh, today? Um, yeah, I mean, hey, I can't really pinpoint any... Well, because you're right, it's a real spiritual journey. So we, we went into that, all of us, as like these blind people who could all of a sudden see, you know. It, it was this really, it's a pretty extraordinary thing. 
you think you're going in there learning about acting, but you're learning about life, really, and and how to human, really. <laughs> and so I think one of the things I learned was um, one of the important things I learned when I was there is that I wasn't that important, that I needed to get over myself a little bit, that like when you get a script or a play or something, it's easy to go, oh, what do I need to do to be fantastic when really you should be thinking what makes this story, what's going to make this story or this this um, this script or whatever, what's going to make it, you know, work. And sometimes that involves you not doing that much to be like, it's not your job to go out there and, and have a spotlight on you the whole time. And that's a really important thing in like in acting. It's an important thing in life as well. I think I, I had to get over myself a little bit, and um, I'm I'm glad I kind of learned that lesson while I was in there, because I think I went from being a like a clown all the time. I I was constantly trying to impress people by making jokes, and realizing that. Um, that was just born out of a massive insecurity that I had, you know, and I didn't need to do that anymore. People like you and love you for who you are. And it's fun. It's still nice to do that, but I didn't need to, I didn't need to rely on that side of myself, you know? Um, Yeah. I think get out of your own way is like a really important thing you need to do as an actor, because if you get up in your head too much and you're, worry about how you know you're going to be portrayed and not worry about what needs to be portrayed or what needs to be told or um or how it should be communicated or whatever um you can get yourself in a bit of strife and i i think i'm still guilty of it every now and then um every now and then you get a bit like paranoid that you're not doing the right thing so you try to you try more or you do more or whatever but sometimes you don't have to do that much you know less is more less is more <laughs> would you would you agree with that? Do you think? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying by that? I feel like I've just waffled on about something that doesn't even make any sense. That you makes know, perfect sense to me. That getting rid of that ego and just worrying about doing justice to the work rather than yourself. Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, it's not about. It's not about you, it's about the story, it's about the work and it's about, uh, you know, affecting people, affecting society, hopefully creating positive change uh, through telling a story and, and, you know, it needs to, it it needs to be in a way egoless to be... Uh, I guess to be seen as successful, but even that implies a certain level of ego. But yeah, it's it's not about you. It's about it's about the work that you're creating uh, collaboratively, either with other people or with an audience or with the script. Um, and I think the more that you make it about yourself, the less effective the work will be, and the more jarring it might be to an audience i don't know i'm still figuring it out as well no great isn't that awesome like we yeah there's like you said there's almost hypocriticisms in 
you know, contradictions that <laughs> in the message, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, well, and, and that's it's the best. We're all still figuring it out, but that's yeah, and that interpretation might not make sense to some people, but to me, it does. You know, I, I think it's um, I think it's important for a lot of performers um, to think like that. There's almost more ego in like writing and sort of directing to some extent, you know, because then it's really your vision, and you've got to make sure that like. Um, that sort of takes place, like, and really fits in. But as an actor, I think people think that it's there, like, and that doesn't say that we're powerless because we have the ability to influence, and we still have ideas and stuff that we're allowed to implement into, into those into scenes or whatever, into the characters, um, and we should. Um, but yeah, the, I don't know. I just think the less, yeah. Unless you worry about how how good you're going to look, the better the better the, the whole thing's going to come together. So, yeah, they stripped my way a lot because we had some hard teachers in there who didn't take any shit from us. So whenever we try to be cocky about something, they would just like say, "No, no, 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 no more." And it was I needed that. <laughs> I think a few of us needed that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My memories of the first three months of that course were just basically being broken down. That sounds really harsh, but I don't mean it in a in a negative way. It was kind of a mm-hmm. way of, uh, you know, um, dismantling kind of uh, systems that you've got in your head or your or your your body, I suppose, about who you are and how you fit into the world to uh, reassemble in a more self aware and egoless way. For sure, absolutely, and we yeah. I mean, it was great watching some like you changed so much throughout that course. I changed so much throughout it. We became different people after twelve months, didn't we? Like I was, I'm a drastically different person at twenty. I was a drastically different person at twenty six than I was at twenty five, no doubt. Um, yeah, I saw the world in a different in a different light. It doesn't that sounds really tacky? And I don't mean that to be like an elitist either. I don't mean like yeah, everyone else sees it like wrong, but I'm like you know I'm enlightened. I just mean like <laughs> you know I was probably steps behind everyone else. <laughs> well, we're <laughs> all on catch up. we're all on our own journeys, so you know. Yeah, and that hasn't finished. That hasn't finished. I still don't. I still continue to see things differently all the time. Um. Yeah, no, it's it's a really cool experience. Even anyone out there who just do an acting course, even if you don't want to be an actor, you'll um you'll learn so much about yourself. It's great. Where did you kind of project yourself to be when you finished uh when you finished drama school, say five years down the track, ten years down the track? <laughs> oh see, I didn't really have that I didn't really have a plan. <laughs> Like the Joker in the Dark Knight, you know. Um, <laughs> I was a dog chasing cars. Um, yeah, no, I, I really didn't. I really didn't. Um, I didn't know. I was hoping to work um, and to be at a point where people are, you know, I'd love to get, you know, a call from my agent saying, "Hey, this director's going to send you a script. They want you to be in a film or something." That'd be. You know, and and read a script and be like, oh, this is amazing. I mean, I'd love to just constantly work, and I'm lucky enough that I'm working pretty consistently as it is. But yeah, I think the dream is just to be like working constantly on really, really great projects and stuff. It certainly wasn't a and and being able to do, being able to just just do that, just work on as an actor rather than 
um, do eight jobs to support it, um, which is really difficult to do, especially in acting. It's like a lot of it's a lot of part time jobs and stuff going around. People doing a bunch of stuff to stay stay alive. So yeah, that were the that were the two main things I really wanted to do: just work consistently um, on really good stuff, and then um, and not have to do other jobs to support what I want to do. And I'm kind of able to do that at the moment, which is really lovely. I'd love to be in a film at some stage. Shit, that'd be good. I shot a film actually. That's that's not, I, I did shoot a film not long ago called After the End. That's going to be hopefully pretty cool. But yeah, just like just just working, man. Just working. That's kind of your dream as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, definitely. It's not about riches or like people taking photos of you all the time, is it? In fact, that can be quite annoying. <laughs> I think I'd that imagine. would be highly oh, tedious after a point. Absolutely. I don't know how people do it. Like, screw living like David Beckham or someone. Like, oh, that would be horrible. Or like, you'd just be in a prison of your own kind of creating. Yeah, no, 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 no. No one wants that. I don't. Uh, uh, anyone who says they want that. I don't think that they've really thought about it to just have like cars parked outside your house waiting for you to leave and stuff. That's crazy. Not that I'm ever good looking enough to, to get to that point. Um, <laughs> shit. Jeffrey Rush walks around Melbourne and no one bothers him. So <laughs> <laughs> I think Australia is um, a bit kind of like that though, in terms of its knockabout sort of mentality. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. And we're not going to be like, you know, Justin Bieber or anyone like that soon. So that's uh, that's a relief. No tween girls will be like screaming because Alistair or Lee walks out of their house. <laughs> but when you turn up to play indoor soccer, the referee will point at you and say, aren't you the guy from that sports bet commercial? Hey, hey, this is who I cater to, Al. Yeah. This is who I cater to. <laughs> Your everyday... <laughs> regular joe bloke who like and it's 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 blokes it's always blokes in these like putting bets on in the ads for some reason but um yeah everyday joe he loves it he goes yes mate i love you and i also backed serena williams in the tennis and with power play because you told me to thanks a lot champion so we've all got a we've all got a little <laughs> fan clubs and unfortunately mine is middle-aged men um <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably to the relief of my girlfriend. She uh, she quite enjoys that. You know, we're, we're kind of we're kind of making light of of that, but it you know that was kind of getting that job. I suppose was a tipping point for you into you know being able to invest not only your life but I suppose financially as well into your career because you were suddenly put in a position where you could actually maybe quit those side jobs that you were doing to support your, uh, support your career. Yep. Um, you know, uh, you, you, you did some, as you said, you've done many jobs and the two most recent ones that come to my mind were um, at a cinema and also working for um, the, uh, the, is it the Metropolitan... Um, Train system, train yeah. System, well, yeah. Metro, metro trains, yeah, yeah. I did. I did. An, I did. Uh, I was work, I was doing announcements down at um, North Melbourne Station for Metro Trains, which I really liked at the start. It was quite fun. I used to get on the microphone and take the piss, but uh, eventually that got a bit tedious. 
I don't know. I'm just going to be bored with that eventually. And then, yeah, I was, um, I worked at a, at the cinemas, sort of um, selling tickets and cleaning and cleaning cinemas and stuff like that. Worked in gold class as a bit of a, as a waiter there for a little bit. And um, yeah, it, it is. You're right. It's a great thing. Um, I mean, I'm and and I'm not making light of them at all. Like sports bet, the ads are so they're so much fun and. The the client themselves are the best people. Like they're really lovely. Not many people can say that when they do an ad. Your client can be really um, Nazi ish, you know. They can be really sort of I don't know, um, just really serious about everything and and a bit tense, and that makes you a bit tense. But these guys are really cool and relaxed, so I have a really great time doing them. Um, and yeah, I'm lucky enough that they. Uh, I don't have to do those jobs anymore, and I don't know how lucky I am. Um, it's been it's been a gift. It's been great. Um, I've done like ten ads for them, and um, there's a couple more coming out soon in the next week or so. So hopefully they're they're quite funny and and people seem to enjoy them. So nah, it's great. It's been it's been a really good gig. What was it like for you, kind of uh, making that decision again? I guess you know similar to when you actually decided to go to drama school but to kind of sever those uh the security of those of those um jobs at the cinema and at, and um for metro what was it like for you to you know to, to really make that call was it an easy one where that where there was a lot of relief or was it a kind of another intimidating moment yeah it was a mix of both i, I went i had a moment of um thinking maybe i shouldn't do this you know because in the next 12 months, if I don't get any work, I may have needed this job, you know. <laughs> um, but, man, I actually, when I I quit the cinema gig earlier, about six months earlier, um, and I wasn't doing a lot of work there at the time anyway, so that wasn't too bad. But the Metro Trains one, I was working there five days a week week for three or four for four hour shifts you know and um that that becomes pretty draining and i um people there's people out there working nine to five going oh yeah it must sound so draining you poor poor darling <laughs> i mean like it was the kind of work it was very very tedious work we largely sat around doing not a lot and that it's it's a very it can be a very boring place to be like when you're working like full-time you, most of the time you're doing a bunch of stuff we were doing four hours of very, very little. And if anyone's listening from Metro Trains that are working at the station now, they'd be laughing because they, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Hmm. But I actually, yeah, I actually got a bit emotional when I left. And I think it was a, a mixture of being really, really happy to, because that was, again, that was the dream. That was that, you know, I didn't have a five or ten year plan, but that was the kind of dream that, it, that I'd be able to not have to work and just, just concentrate on acting. And I knew I was about to do that. And, um, but also, they were kind of a little weird family for me in the end. When you work five days a week with anyone, I think they become your like. When you first join a job, you sort of think, oh, God, these guys are wankers. But then after like a bit of time with them, you fall in love with a few of the people, you know, and they're an odd crew of misfits and they'll admit that themselves, <laughs> <laughs> people that work for Metro. They really are. But 
you know, you go through a bunch of shit with them when trains get cancelled and stuff like that and the whole world goes against you. They're the only people that are on your side. So again, you've got your own little weird community on the side there. Um, so it's a bit of a bit of both. I got, a, yeah, I got a bit emotional thinking about the fact that I was really happy to get out of it and finally just concentrate on being able to just do what I really love. But also, yeah, there was this, I was a bit scared that I was maybe doing the wrong thing and I was also like losing a bunch of people that I was spending a lot of time with, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I could imagine that it would be, but I'm sure I'm sure there was a lot of um, freedom and uh, excitement and relief about the fact that you were able to, you know, focus more on what you really wanted to be doing. But I mean, you know, you have those experiences of that kind of family vibe or uh, or really kind of communal thing to talk, go back to what we were talking about before. And it's always there's always going to be a a kind of degree of sadness when you when you step away from it. Yeah, yeah, but you're right, uh, mate. The joy, the joy far outweighs. <laughs> I was <laughs> pretty elated to get out of there, but um, yeah, you, you just go through a bit of a mix of emotions. But yeah, it was nice to finally not have to worry about getting out of a shift because of a, a midday audition or something. You know, <laughs> like. Um, it's, that's that's the battle for most most actors is like getting out of things, like having a job that you need to get your money, and then getting out of it just to go to like something you really have to go to, you know, that go, that lasts for fifteen minutes. Um, nah, it was a it was a massive relief. I um don't regret it for a second, my friend. Do not regret it. Mm. Were you worried at all when you were doing these sports bet commercials and um and you you started to get recognized by middle-aged men at indoor soccer venues. <laughs> did, you, did you worry at all about uh, the, the myth of being typecast or not being able to be taken more seriously as, a, uh, as an actor for shows that you're now, you know, working quite regularly on, like, you know, Offspring and, um, and things like that? Um, yeah, a little... I mean, it started as... As one ad or two ads, I was kind of in the background of the second ad when we I first got cast in it. So I, it, there was no thought of typecasting at all because it was a one-off and I'd done ads before. Um, and then eventually, I I was the last person to figure that out. I think someone some people come up to me and said, "Oh, are you worried about that?" Um, and then I sort of thought, "Shit, maybe I should be worried," but. I'm lucky in regards to uh, I think the ads are I don't say a lot of words. I think there's been two ads where I've spoken out of the ten. Um, and I reckon that you can I think punchline ads are more typecasty. I, I that's what I, I, I could be completely wrong here. That's my opinion of it. Like the you know, your Ronda ads and your um, to keep the rabbits out, that sort of in not happy Jan, those sort of like really memorable Aussie punchlines that I think those ads can be a bit because then you become the not happy Jan lady or the um, keep the rabbits out guy, or you know what I mean, rather than the sports bet guy is like, I don't know, he's I feel like I'm almost replaceable at any at any particular point in time. You know, I'm just a guy who looks at his phone and 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 goes, "Yeah, cool, I got 
I got this bet on or whatever, but I don't have any catchy catch lines or anything like that. So I think that that's kind of been ref- helpful. And also, I had no idea about typecasting and stuff. And I, I know another actor, I'm not going to mention his name, but I know he was in an ad and he was quite popular in these ads. And he felt he was typecast. I heard a, someone told me that he felt like it affected his work um, going forward. So all I could do was monitor what was happening going forward and I kept getting into um, casting agents rooms and, they, and, I, and I was lucky enough to get cast in a bunch of shows. So it didn't seem to affect me. I think it divides some people when they meet me because they think that because gambling is quite taboo in a lot of areas, but it hasn't affected me so far. Hopefully it doesn't, doesn't in the future. <laughs> but yeah, so far, so far it's, been, it's been really good. It's actually helped me more than anything else, get a bit of exposure. And, and lucky we live in a country where people like embrace that larrikinism. And so far, it's been a lot of positive feedback. It's been good. Do you feel like since we finished school, drama school that is, mm. do you feel as though you've created a, a successful career for yourself? Or is that a kind of a longer term idea? I think that's a work in progress still. Nobody knows my name, <laughs> you know. I'm a, I'm a face on some ads at the moment, which is a cool thing. And and I'm and I'm doing a couple of shows, like I said. But I'm yet to really establish myself as someone who who's who works really, really consistently. And that's where I really hope to get to. So yeah, I don't think I'm really happy with what I've, what I've done so far. And I know how difficult it is, but I don't know. I'll never stop striving. And I, I think it's really refreshing to hear like, you know, Hollywood A-listers who get, who, who just have this amazing catalog of work and they continue to get work and they're still striving as well. I don't think you ever stop. I don't think artists know how to. We're, we're crazy and really driven and just want to like, it's almost like um, you're seeking perfection but you don't want to. You, you want nothing to be perfect, and so you. I, this this sounds ridiculous. It doesn't even make any sense. But it's like that. Um, yeah, you're on this never-ending quest for something that you don't even know what what you're what you're striving for. <laughs> you just know that you're striving for more every time, um, and it never ever satisfies you. It's an insatiable kind of. Uh, um, I don't know like carrot in front of you that you can't really like it never it just never satisfies you um so yeah i've just started my journey hopefully um but yeah i don't i don't think it matters how far any of us get i think we're going to always strive for more and we should fuck it you only live once damn straight do you think that you can build the career that you want uh, in Australia or is it something where you feel like that's a good launching point or is it uh, or is it more that you feel like you know what you what you hope to achieve would involve a more international career Yeah uh, that's a it's a again a doozy of a question you're better at this than I thought you were going to be. Um, <laughs> well, that's a that's a that's a double edged compliment. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
because you're probably more looking at the, the fact that I've slagged you off more than anything else. Though you're going to walk off going, "What a fucking bastard he is." Um, I'll just no, cut no. it together like that um, 60 minute interview with Homer Simpson. <laughs> yeah, um, I like I I love working in Australia and I love being able to use my own accent. It's the best. But the reality is, all the works over there, over you know, overseas in like. Obviously, the States is, you know, um, a bit of a mecca when it comes to TV and film in LA and in theatre, the theatre scene in New York and places like London is really, really popular and and Australia probably hasn't hasn't adapted to that yet. Um, we're still a big sporting culture and we don't really mix that with theatre as well as, say, London does or, or parts of the States. So... Um, and Europe, I mean, shit, there's pl- plenty. Anyway, there's heaps of examples. Um, I know London's in Europe, by the way. It's other parts of Europe, I meant. Well, for the next two years anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, they're getting the fuck out of there. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I just like to be working consistently. I, I do plan on going to the US. I, w- I, was, I did a play in... LA a few years back and, and was there for like five weeks and I really loved it. I just love the culture and the, and the way people embrace the art over there. It's really lovely. And they've just, like I said, they've just got so much work. There's so many TV shows and films being made constantly. Um, so the opportunity to be able to audition for stuff like that is, is pretty insane. I think the most I auditioned in one year in Australia was like 20 something times and I heard a story when I was in the States of a guy who auditioned for 10 jobs in five days. So, and that's probably not even the craziest like story out of, there's probably heaps more auditions and other people are getting. But that's pretty insane to be that busy and to be doing that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I just want to work, man. I don't really, and I want to work on good stuff. And I think there's really good and bad writing in, in a lot of different places. And Australia's no exception to that. So it's, I just I just want to work on good stuff, man. I, I, it's, it's just so much fun. I, I don't really mind what country I'm doing it in. But, yeah, preferably a place with a lot of work. So that would be nice. I'll try and discover what I can do over there. Um, hopefully I can get some work because it seems like it's um, it's got so much of it. I guess I guess the kind of takeaway or my takeaway from that is that you want to be doing good work and you know you want to you want to be building your you know building your career in a in an environment that's conducive to creating great great work whether that's in Australia or America or Europe somewhere um and it feels like at the moment the the um most accessible places are Europe and America but you know there's also some great work being made in Australia so there is yeah yeah I mean I really love film and we don't make heaps of films in Australia so that's the probably one thing that's I wish there was more opportunity for film here Mm. Um, we're making a fair bit of TV now which is cool but yeah I don't know I, I, I love it as a medium and we don't really do a lot of it here so mm. um, I wish there was a bit more 
guess. And the theatre culture here is still got to it has to improve a little bit. I think we need to like really embrace it. But that also comes with making sure that we're consistently putting on really great theatre. And sometimes we don't do that. So, and that's not me stabbing anyone or saying you know or pointing at any companies or anything like that. I'm not interested in that. Um, I'm responsible for that as much as anybody. You know, uh, being involved in that in the, in this, in this industry. But well, yeah, I, I think I think that the industry is very small in in um, in Australia, and mm-hmm. I mean that kind of in a in a big picture sense. Like, you know, there's not a lot of money. Um, there's and there are a lot of people who want to create good work, and because there's not a lot of money, it means the risk factor is so much higher. A lot of it's government mm-hmm. funded. And, you know, they want to be making, quote, unquote, I think I've said that fucking five times in this uh, chat. <laughs> they, want to be, they want to be making safe investments to an extent, yeah. which makes it difficult for people who aren't, you know, Sean McAuliffe or Russell Crowe or Kate Blanchett to kind of step out and step into the, the new um, or the next generation of uh, performers and filmmakers and, and um, playwrights. Yeah, I agree. You don't get shows like it's a good example. The IT crowd is probably a good a good example of that sort of really eccentric kind of at the time, no name cast. You know, like let's take a risk like that and do something that's kind of really off center and you wouldn't get the opportunity, like you said, because everyone's scared that with the the tiny amount of money they have they're going to lose <laughs> mm. unless they unless they do something really safe and the irony is that everybody's sick of safe so yeah i don't know some i don't know we need to balls up don't we <laughs> well as a country and just go let's let's invest money into this wacko's crazy idea and you know give people something different give them a new perspective something different to look at and talk about rather than let's go and make another reality show about you know people getting married at first sight i mean it's, it's lunacy <laughs> unfortunately i guess the reality is uh that reality tv is here to stay and is what is mostly sought after for commercial networks but then you have amazing platforms like Netflix and in Australia, things like Stan uh, that can provide you with, you know, an alternate and, and is proving to be hugely popular uh, in terms of like short form, you know, you call yeah. it TV, but, you know, things like um, uh, things like House of Cards and Ranger Things and, and things like that uh, proving that, you know, reality TV has an overall drama and, in fact, drama has just become more sophisticated. But sure. the, you know, the flip side of that is that it becomes more expensive to make in a way. Whereas reality TV well, yeah. is a sure bet that is cheap, you know, cheapish. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, no, it's so cheap. It is. It really is. Um, but... And and I'm I'm not against reality TV because I think there's some like really cool concepts and I'm a sucker for it. I find some of it interesting. But like you know, if you have television and you went on on your TV tonight, for example, I'm pretty sure every 
every free-to-air channel was playing a reality TV show at the same time. So we're, we're drowning in them, you know. It's not even like – it's not like um, you have one every now and then that's like really original or whatever. It's like we're suffocating <laughs> in an ocean of reality TVs where like, you know – I don't know. Some some dickhead is like cooking a dish and getting judged on it by people that no one knows, and and I don't know. This I, I don't even know. I don't. I don't watch them at the moment. I just know, I just send the ads for them every now and then. But I just think I, I I couldn't watch those things. Like there's one there's one about you know going home to your parents and then not accepting your marriage for some reason. Uh, it's, Look, maybe maybe I'm the odd one out because they obviously rate through the roof, but fuck, I don't know. I'd rather go. I'd rather go back to watching those funniest home video shows than that, which is now called just YouTube. We don't. <laughs> we don't. You don't need a station for that anymore, do you? Um, but yeah, look, we are draining it, and there's some great drama to be had. Like you said, those shows that you just mentioned—they're just great great television and their risks that but they're calculated risks I think that we don't make so he's hoping that changes in the future because mm. we're a really talented country man we've got so many so many good actors and we've got good crews and stuff we're willing to like they're all hungry for that stuff so let's let's make it let's make that stuff let's get crazy with it I agree I agree. It seems like a very, uh, very poignant way to kind of round out what's been a, um, a, a great kind of catch-up, I guess, and also a philosophical ramble. We kind of just went off on a, on a really um, unexpected <laughs> path there. Yeah, I didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't know where any of this was going to go. <laughs> I was like, should I prepare for this? I'm not really – I'm not a massive preparer, um, but we just – Shot into the wind, man. That's right. That's right. How lovely. Lovely. And this is always an awkward, awkward conversation to have with you. The just after my team plays yours at Anfield, it always ends in tears for me, and it did again. So yeah, that's right. You bastard. Money, money. Mo money. Shit. Mo goals. Yeah, and Tottenham did a Tottenham. Oh well, that's how it. uh, That's how it is. Well, we just passed the uh, the crisis buck onto you guys now. How ridiculous! Yeah, great. How absolutely absurd. The problem is, maybe not for Spurs, but for Liverpool, was that the expectations were raised too high uh, with the early season form. You know, if you'd said to me, uh, "What are we? Twenty five, twenty six games into the season, that we would be, um, you know, within t- one point." of second place, I'd be like biting your hand off to take that. Yeah. But I guess that's I the kind of... This is a whole new podcast now. This is great. Yeah. But yeah, it is. It's it's crazy stupid how much pressure there is on footballers and stuff. I mean, yeah, it's just silly. Now, yeah, you're right. We're apparently in crisis now because we, cause we lost you guys. So mm. let's not get carried away. No. There's some sensationalist media going on, isn't there? <laughs> Particularly in uh, in England. Oh, they love it. They do. <laughs> That's probably a good reason to stick a steer clear of 
England when it comes to the arts because you'll get some weird front cover of like, um, oh, what's that paper called? The big gossipy one. Is it the Sun or the Mirror? The Sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Sun and the Mirror—they're both pretty big, aren't they? Mm. Um, God, they love a good salacious rumor. They certainly do. Um, well, I guess all that leaves is for uh, for the last question of the show, um, which is uh, which is always the same question, and um, and uh, I've kind of run out of ways to try and phrase it like it's the first time I've asked it. Um, so I guess I'll just ask you, <laughs> like Lipton, this is like Lipton's um, French quiz, whatever that. Uh, oh yeah, that what little... is your favorite swear word? Yeah, yeah, this is your this is your little uh, piece of tomfoolery. Yeah, yeah, what makes you silly? What makes me silly? Yeah, that's what I, that's the last question that I ask everyone. Hmm. Yes, yes, yes. What makes me silly? What do you when you say what? <laughs> I need more specific. When when you say what makes me silly, what does that mean? Like, as in, what makes me go silly? Well, let me put this in a way that you might be able to relate to a little bit better. What are the Please. top five silly things about you? <laughs> oh, should I should just Natalie would be able to answer this because she thinks I'm an I'm a complete dickhead most of the time. And, <laughs> um, and she still gives you the loving. She does. She's what, a, what an angel. Silly, silly things. <laughs> Top five silly things about me. I should, I should be better at answering this question than I am. I'm, I'm blanking out. Um, I, I don't know. What's some of the answers that you've gotten so far? Um, quite a few that are that involve alcohol, uh, silly voices, people's kids, um, trampolines. Well, I should okay. I can give you my little party trick. You've heard this before, but I can do this really weird noise that, like, I'm not sure how it's going to come through on the phone here, but I do a really strange sound. Um, do you want to hear that? Yeah, go on. Shit's gonna get real here, and people can. T- I'd love to f- some feedback on what this is because I don't even know what this is. This sound, it's either a bird or like a some sort of an alien predator type creature. I don't know. It's one of those. Help me out. This is the sound. Ready? <clears throat> Hopefully, I can do it now. <laughs> <clears throat> You that made that work? with your mouth, didn't you? That was with my mouth. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. Um, that makes me pretty silly. Also, how's this for a weird thing? When I eat dinners, I have to eat, and I'm not, I'm not OCD in any way, but I have to eat my dinner in, in this exact same order every single time. So if I've got meat, potato, and peas, for example... I'll eat my peas and a little bit of potato and meat at the same time. All that sort of, that kind of jumbles in a little bit. But I make sure that I have one bite of meat and one bite of potato left at the end and I eat them together every single time without fail. You're not alone with that one. Aren't I? No, I do that. We should start a club. Because I haven't met people that do that. People were laughing at me like, uh-huh, that's weird. 
I was like, I don't think it's that weird. Who wants to end a meal with peas in their mouth? No one. Crazy people. Yeah. This is what I've been saying. The best tasting thing is the meat and the potatoes. And together they make a really great combination. So, lunacy. I do the same with burgers and chips. I'll finish with one bite of burger and one chip left. Bang them together. Boom in the mouth. Done. So, that might make me crazy. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's how OCD starts with that sort of shit. When like in... 20 years time when I'm leaving my house and turning my light switch on and off 37 times I'll be like I think I know where this all began meat and potatoes <laughs> on a phone call with Al <laughs> <laughs> about meat and potatoes absolutely thanks man this has been awesome yep it's always good to chat with you man